Welcome to the It's One Louder podcast. Your host, PJ Pat, has done absolutely nothing that you would know about. But don't fret. PJ Pat's passion for rock, hard rock, and heavy metal will no doubt please all headbangers. So turn up the volume one louder and enjoy the show. First of all, happy holidays. May you have a merry and Metallica kind of Christmas. Rock on. Secondly, do you remember that band, Teenage Fan Club? Remember when they came out that album, Bandwagon S, that pink album with that yellow money bag on it? It had this amazing song called The Concept. Ever wonder what the hell happened to them and what they're up to now? Well, let's find out. So I just saw this short and sweet article in the latest Guitar World magazine about Teenage Fan Club. And it just took me back as soon as I saw that to those days where just back in 1991, I became aware of them in the Bandwagon S album. And that's when, you know, guitar-oriented music started becoming popular and mainstream on the radio. And I just got sucked into this album. The song, The Concept, really gripped me, and I listened to this album countless of times. Plus, when I found out they were from Scotland, that was really cool, too, because I didn't... First of all, I probably didn't even know where Scotland was. Secondly, I didn't even know a band out of Scotland, you know, that I can, you know, name you back then. Even now, actually, outside of Teenage Fan Club. So, all right, let's get right into it. Welcome to the club. Oh, oh ooh, hold on. Can't forget these. Okay, reading glasses on. Ah, much better. Okay, article is entitled, Welcome to the Club. Teenage fan clubs Norman Blake and Raymond McGinley discuss mortality, enjoying ice cream with Nirvana, and the mixed blessing of never quite hitting it huge. Actually, right on. By John Weirderhorn. There was a time at the dawn of the alternative rock explosion when Scottish quartet teenage fan clubs seemed destined for rock stardom. They toured with Nirvana, performed on Saturday Night Live, and spin-rated Bandwagon as the best album of 1991, ahead of Nirvana and R.E.M. Wow, really? Suddenly, every media outlet wanted a piece of the bedraggled, jangly rockers who were touted as alt-rock saviors. It was a really exciting time for us, says guitarist and vocalist Norman Blake. We got to tour the world and play these amazing places. We played a huge venue in Stockholm, and after Nirvana's soundcheck, we left with them and found a little play park. We all bought ice cream cones and ate them sitting on this swing set. That was really memorable because in the middle of all this craziness, we had this private, innocent moment with these nice, friendly people from America. Critics and alt-rock purists embraced Teenage Fan Club, but Bandwagon S was ultimately a sales disappointment for the record company, which hoped it would be platinum within a few months. Really? Man, that album was so crazily awesome. For Teenage Fan Club, however, the album allowed them to keep playing shows and recording music, which was all they really ever strived for. I've always felt we've been quite lucky, says lead guitarist and vocalist Raymond McGinley. Maybe a lot of people see us as a band that should have been more successful, but that's not a bad perception to have, because it means they think you're good and you didn't get what you deserved. In our minds, we never expected to go platinum. That was never a goal. We've gone to be a band for 34 years and make a living doing it, and we're still going. Wow, 34 years? Admittedly, I've jumped off the bandwagon, pun intended, from Bangwagon S. I believe maybe I got the second album after that but I kind of fell off the gravy train, so I'm not sure what's going on or I haven't really followed their career. But 34 years in, that's really cool to know. That's really cool to know, especially these days when it's super hard to do music um, and make money outside of touring, right? I haven't really seen them. I don't know if they go to the US, but I haven't really seen them in Canada. We've never went to this band with any expectations. So as a consequence of that, we've never been disappointed, Blake adds. Damn, now that's a way to live, right? That's a good life philosophy right there. There are endless accounts of people saying, well, if the record company had done this or that, they would have been huge. But we've never thought that way. We just love making music together. Wow, how beautiful is that, eh? Because 
That's what it comes down to at the end of the day. Teenage fan club's positivity and sustained enthusiasm for their craft has been the key to their survival and cult-level success. Since the release of Bandwagon S, they've released 10 studio albums, including the new euphorically tuneful yet melancholic Nothing Lasts Forever. All right, well, this article is definitely making me want to check out at least the latest one and see where they're at sonically and just like to see if they've evolved or not sound-wise, right? The follow-up to 2021's Endless Arcade, their first recording since 2018 departure of bassist and founding member Gerard Love. Nothing Lasts Forever is winsomely jangly and mid-paced, a cross between The Birds, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, The Band, The Beatles, and yes, Big Star. The band Teenage Fan Club were mercilessly accused of aping in the early 90s. Hey Rocker, if you're really digging this video, I'd really appreciate a subscribe and hit that notification buttons for every time I come up with a new one. Alright, thank you so much, and let's get back to the article. Wow, so I guess it looks like their sound has changed, maybe less quote-unquote grungy. It was a critique that provided smack talkers grist for the mill. For Blake and McGinley, however, being compared to Big Star was both a compliment and an opportunity. When we did press, we were actually quite open about all our influences, whether it was the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Neil Young, or whatever, McGinley says. And then we'd mention Big Star, and I think a lot of journalists had never heard of Big Star, so people hooked onto that and used it as an angle to say, oh, it's the band that loves Big Star, but it was flattering to be compared to Big Star because their music is so good, and it gave us the opportunity to meet Alex in New Orleans, the first time we ever played there. I have no idea who Big Star is. For those of you who know and think is awesome or not awesome, let me know in the comments. We got along really well and became friends and even got to work with them. Although Blake and McGinley are content with their new songs and pleased with their current lineup, which includes keyboardist and former bassist David McGowan, drummer Francis McDonald, and keyboardist Euros Childs, they admitted they started working on Nothing Lasts Forever before they were really ready to enter the studio. Like countless other bands, Teenage Fan Club were planning to embark on a lengthy tour when the pandemic put their plans on hold. When Endless Arcades was released, it was kind of like going back to 1990 when the first album, The Grunge Inflected, A Catholic Education came out. We couldn't really do anything with it. Everything came to a screeching halt. We were all a bit depressed about that. I mean, there was a lot to be depressed about at that time, but it just felt really weird. There was this build-up and the release and then nothing, Blake adds. I think that's where the idea of the theme of nothing lasts forever started because nothing was happening and it seemed like everything was ending. But we felt like we needed to do something. So we said, right, well, let's just make another album. Hold Up at Home, Blake and McGinley wrote a batch of new songs without vocal melodies and showed them to the rest of the band. Then instead of recording pre-production demos, which they've never done, Teenage Fan Club fine-tuned the songs, added vocals, and then headed to Rockfield Studios in Wales, where they finished the lyrics and tracked Nothing Lasts Forever. We had the title, so that lent itself to a bit of reflection, at least with the lyrics, McGinley says. We're not saying this is our last album. We sure hope it's not. But bands don't last forever. People don't last forever. Nothing lasts forever. After 34 years in a band, you have to accept that we're not a conveyor belt and we're not machines. Anything can end at any time. And maybe that provides motivation to keep going. Not only do Teenage Fan Club plan to keep going, from now on, they plan to release a new record every year or two instead of waiting a half decade, as they've sometimes done in the past. That's the way Yola Tango do it, and it seems to work well for them. I have no idea who Yola Tango is, Blake says. That's really about as fast as you can do albums these days, because there's a bit of a backlog waiting for vinyl. And they either go on tour for six or seven months, so two years sounds about right. Whether opening for an arena band or rocking at a dive bar, Teenage Fan Club's setup has always been the same. McGinley plays a 1973 pre-CBS Fender Jaguar, and Blake uses a 1970 Gibson ES-335 
and a Martin Acoustic. Both have boost pedals and play Vox AC-15s on stage. In the studio, Blake and McGinley have relied on an old Epiphone Casino and a late 1950s Fender Deluxe for decades. And while their sound has changed slightly with each album, they've relied on the same approach since the first time they entered the studio back in 1990. McGinley tackles all the leads and Blake sometimes joins them for guitar harmonies. For the rhythms, McGinley plays mostly open chords and chord fragments with very little gain, and Blake complements the riffs with chord inversions using capo and setting his distortion higher to create a denser sound. Yeah, those open chords and open fragments, that's definitely like Neil Young type style, for sure. Norman mostly plays all six strings all the time, McKinley says. I like to play a few strings at a time in arpeggios, but we mix it up as long as the two guitars sound complementary but different. That's what I love. I love when bands with two guitarists complement each other and sound, you know, play different types of guitars, play different types of chords at the same time. I love that stuff. Kind of like the Stones, right? While Teenage Fan Club were picked up by Geffen slash DGC after only one record, they never expected to retain the support of a major label for too long. After their fourth big budget release, 1997's Songs from Northern Britain, their US label dropped them due to poor sales. It was a mixed blessing. Being out of the major label shark pool meant less pressure to shift units. It also meant less money to record and less tour support. Even so, they were handpicked by Radiohead to open their OK Computer Tour but the shows only reinforce the notion that fame comes at a price. It was amazing, and we had a good time hanging out with the guys, but we noticed that everywhere Radiohead went, people followed them, Blake says. We saw the same thing with Nirvana years earlier. If you're very successful, it's impossible to have private space, and I can see how that would be difficult to deal with. If I'm rocking around Glasgow, and I get recognized by a couple of people, it's not as though I ever get mobbed in the street. I think we're fortunate that we've never had to deal with that. Following the 2003 compilation CD, 4,766 Seconds, a shortcut to Teenage Fan Club, the band started recording albums on their own and licensing them through independent labels, including Merge in the US and Norman Records slash Pima in Europe. From 2005's Man Made to the present, Teenage Fan Club have recorded all their recording and studio expenses, ensuring no one will interfere with their music or artwork. Wow, that's still pretty impressive because, I mean, that's how a lot of bands are doing it now. You know, even bands like Teenage Fan Club who've had popularity in the past, like I said earlier, like it's really hard for really major labels to get behind these bands because they don't really see any money outside of touring. Not sure what kind of crowds Teenage Fan Club would attract outside of Europe or even outside Scotland right now. Mammoth just came here not too long ago this year and they just played a 1500 capacity venue and they're being promoted like crazy throughout North America. I doubt Teenage Fan Club could fill even that venue. But like they said, they don't really care. All they care is just having fun together and play music and I think that's where it's at right now for a band like Teenage Fan Club. Having worked with labels and done records on our own, we've discovered it's much better for us to do it ourselves, Blake says. We've been at this for a long time, so we kind of know what we're doing. We'll get the artwork and music together and present it to whoever's interested with the finished project. Then it's, well, here it is. Let us know if you're interested. And there you have it. Short and sweet article highlighting Teenage Fan Club. Man, what a band. You know, this, I, you know, it really makes me want to go check out what they've been doing lately. Their song obviously has evolved, so that's really good to know. It's not this ACDC type situation, which, you know, ACDC, love them to death. They're kind of in a category of their own. But I personally like to see a band evolve, especially after 34 years. Looking forward to checking out. Have you guys kept up with this band? Have you guys checked out their later stuff? Let me know in the comments. I'd love to know, you know, if you have, what's your favorite songs? What's your favorite albums? Or if your taste has evolved as well. 
But you know, it's really cool to see a band like Teenage Fan Club still, still at it 34 years in, right? And you can tell it's just about the passion. It's all about the music, man. They're lucky to have a career worth 34 years, but a lot of these bands starting up, it's really hard to make any sort of living, get any sort of traction because all they make money on now is touring. You know, when you're starting up, if you don't have promotion, you'd have a major label behind you, it's really tough. And that's where you see the passion come in because you definitely need the passion to keep it going. According to Brian Adams from one of the articles I read recently, you can go check it out in the description below. He was saying that radio doesn't even take a look at you unless your song has 10 million plays on streaming services. And Brian was saying that, you know, in terms of rock and roll, that's really hard these days to get that kind of following in rock and roll. Yeah, sure, the, the pop world and hip hop and rap world, it might be a little easier right now, but for rock, for a song to get 10 million plays on streaming is really tough. So that's the state everyone where it's at, but you know what? We cannot give up. We need to spread our love and passion for rock. To Brian Adams' point, it's hard to get introduced to new rock and roll these days because it's not being played on the radio, but rock and roll is not dead. There's some amazing rock and roll being pushed to the world on a daily basis. We just need to work harder to find it, that's all, because it's not being pushed to us through the radio. That's why the world needs a community like this, a rock and roll community that will share our love and passion of rock with the world. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for subscribing and liking. I really do appreciate it. And let's keep on rocking and not keep on stopping. All right, I'll see you in the next one. Appreciate you staying till the end, my friend. Please connect with me on all socials, X, Instagram, TikTok, at rockwithpjpat. That's at rockwithpjpat. And also on Facebook, if you're on there, do a search for It's One Louder Podcast, and that's where you'll see my page. And hook me up. Reach out to me. Would love to hear from you. Thank you.